Hello, my friends. This is Glenda Taylor. I'm glad you can be with me for this little podcast. Once when I was in San Diego, um, I was staying in the home of a San Diego State University professor, a professor of linguistics, who spent most of his time trying to understand the varieties of linguistic experience within the human race. And on that occasion, I sat and and watched through the window of his home onto the street as a a number of men walked by, Jewish men wearing top hats and skull caps, formal frock coats and dark suits, and they were walking to the Orthodox Jewish synagogue on the corner of the street. They walked because it was the Sabbath, and in their tradition, by their strictest rules, one may not drive on the Sabbath. They followed a custom that is at once a self-discipline and a form of worship and an act that truly differentiates them from other members of our culture. (laughs) Many of those other members of our culture raced by that day in their cars, staring curiously at the top-hatted men walking to the corner. At other times, I've been in New Mexico and Arizona and have traveled through Hopi and Navajo lands, and there I saw Native American people dressed in their own colorful and unique attire, performing their own customs, following patterns of behavior that are also acts of spiritual devotion, and that also sets them apart from the rest of the culture. Tourists driving by gaze at them curiously, as they had at the Jewish men in San Diego. I've also been in an Amish community in southern Pennsylvania, where I watched and learned of their customs. No radios, television, or other things that distract them from listening to God. Plain living, plain clothes, devotion, worshipful attention to the divine speaking in the silence of their lives. Customs decidedly different from others in the mainstream culture. I'm also reminded of my time in the Baptist church and the Baptist community and I'm remembering particularly a, a funeral for a relative of mine. The rite was beautiful, really, consoling and worshipful. The most, I think, the most lovely funeral I ever attended It was full of words and acts and symbols that are unique to the Christian tradition and perhaps even to the Baptist tradition. And these, I might add, set the Baptist community apart from other Christian traditions and other spiritual traditions. Roman Catholic, the Greek Orthodox, the Buddhist, the Hindu. A funeral in any of these traditions would have been a very different thing than it was for my dear Baptist cousin. So what I'm trying to say here is that many indeed are the religious communities in our world, many and various and all precious perhaps. How much to be treasured is the selfless devotion of this tall Jewish man that was walking past the window, renouncing his automobile for one day, indeed arranging his whole life pattern so that he could live close enough to synagogue to be able to walk there on the Sabbath. How much 
To be treasured are all the varieties of religious experience. The differences between the Jewish, the Navajo, the Amish, the Baptist, the Bushman, these differences are like the differences between flowers and trees and stones and antelope. They each have their place of beauty within the vastness and variety of creation. Now, it's good, I think, that there are people who can go deeply into their own traditions, people who manifest spirit in this way or that way, fully and joyfully. I appreciate this depth, and it is good, I think, that there are those of us who can, whatever our own religious preferences, step back a few steps to see and appreciate the broader picture that emerges when one studies and experiences a whole spectrum of religious traditions. For those of us who have made an effort to obtain a historical perspective, if that's possible, studying the roots and derivations of various religious customs, there is a deep joy of seeing that all religious traditions, however various, spring from what we might call an archetypal human impulse that is common to all of us, that we all share. Whether our particular tradition says that we walk to church on the Sabbath, that we drink wine for communion, that we dance to evoke spirit, that we sing or we don't sing, behind all this colorful and meaningful variety is the human need to transcend his or her own individual limitations, and to be connected to something transcendent and holy. Some will call it God. Some will call it Great Spirit, some Jesus, some Buddha, some Shiva, some Kali. Some will wisely refuse to give it any name. Some worship this transcendent one as something separate and utterly apart from themselves. Some say that they take this one into themselves in their rituals of consuming the body and blood of this other one. Some say that they are the sons and daughters of the one. Some say that they are made of the same stuff, are made in the image of, or participate in the life of this otherness. Some say nothing and withdraw into caves to meditate and experience as fully as possible union with this one or sit on a cushion in their own living room to do the same thing. Greatly varied are the words and ideas and symbols used to express spiritual meaning. And ironically, it seems to me, the words and ideas and symbols set us apart from one another. Greatly alike, however, are the feelings and the archetypal impulses towards spiritual devotion. Happily, these spiritual impulses and feelings do unite us. Whether we are Jewish or Taoist or Catholic, we cry out with the same spiritual anguish when someone dies. Whether we are Amish or Hindu or Apache, we feel the same spiritual awe and reverence and, well, 
an immersion in the sacred beauty of a sunset, say. Why, then, I ask myself, why do we allow our differences to set us against each other? My way, not your way. My way is sacred. Your way is sinful. My idea of God is correct. Yours must be destroyed. There can be only one way. The word cult began to circulate more freely a few years ago in our society. It was used by some people as a label to describe in a most negative way those religious traditions different from their own. The emotional overtones of the use of the word cult are very like those of the days of the witch hunts. This strikes terror into my heart. Should we not all remember what can happen when a witch hunt begins? Should we not all remember that the church of the, the loving, forgiving, peaceful, and tolerant Jesus, the Christian church, however, in the Middle Ages, tortured and burned and killed a half million people, men, women, and children, because they were said to be witches, because they were said to belong to a satanic cult. Would we burn half a million people today? Should not those of us who are women remember that 80% of those of the so-called witches cult who were burned were women? Or that the venerable St. Jerome of the church said of women, all women, quote, Woman is the gate of evil, the way of evil, the sting of the scorpion, in a word, a dangerous thing. Another prelate of the church said, quote, Every woman should be filled with shame at the thought that she is a woman. Are we, as women, so quick to forget what prejudice is? how misdirected and dangerous it can be? Should we not remember that Copernicus was denounced as a heretic by the Orthodox Church and his writings banned because he had the audacity to say that the earth revolves around the sun? That was considered blasphemy against God. Are we members of a blasphemous Copernican cult because we believe the earth revolves around the sun as Copernicus did? Painful as it is to remember, must we not remember that gentle and relatively peaceful Native American and African people were killed as savages, not even as humans, as soulless animals, by people who said they came in God's name to establish civilization and Christianity? Should we not remember Hitler and his destruction of the Jews or the crucifixion by the Jews of the blasphemous Jesus or the execution of the gentle Socrates for teaching the youth what must not be taught that there are many ways, not just one way, to the truth? This use of the word cult to express such negative attitudes toward any people different from oneself, is, I think, itself demonic. And where it rears its ugly head in our culture today, whether it's against Latinos or Muslims or any other general tradition, is so dangerous. And it is, in fact, a misunderstanding of the word cult itself. The word cult is the root form of the word culture, 
Our culture, any culture, is a particular way of life. Our culture is different from the Chinese culture, for example. So is Americanism a cult? Each of us belongs to a cult, or to a number of cults. Kids wear funny-looking hair. They belong to a counterculture, we say. Those Jewish men walking by in top hats, they are a subculture, we say. Politicians in Washington who say God is on our side, a fundamentalist anywhere, black gospel singers, Pentecostal faith healers, New Age crystal gazers. These occults are as various as roadside flowers in a field. And why not? The spirit of creation moves in many and various ways, creating flowers, mountains, rivers, horses, human beings. There are thousands of ways for a flower to express itself, to express the spirit of creation. There's a rose, a petunia, beautiful pink iris outside my door today. There are no less ways for humans to express the spirit of creation. Why must we call the way of the other a cult and seek to destroy it? Why must we revile the culture of another nation? Does the rose disdain as satanic the way of the water lily? Yet prejudice and narrow-minded sectarianism, separatist ideologies, nationalism run amok, these are everywhere, it seems. When I moved to Texas from California, I moved back to Texas from California after living in California for almost 20 years, my friends there questioned me about moving back to the Bible Belt, fearing that I, I might be misunderstood here. But I've met with nothing but love and acceptance by most of the people here in Texas. Yet right there in Southern California, my very hairdresser one day upbraided me when I was getting my hair cut for reading Joseph Campbell's book on comparative mythology, warning me against, yes, satanic cults. Joseph Campbell. A few years ago, I happened to be at a lecture given by a well-known Native American medicine man. This man kept referring during the lecture, which, by the way, took place at one of the missions on the coast of California. (laughs) Unfortunate place for this medicine person to be speaking, I might add. He kept referring to the whites in the audience as you people and kept deriding us for what we had done or what we had done and were doing to Native Americans. Now, I, I have some Native American blood in me, and I can share a righteous indignation along with this man. But I looked around me, recognizing many of the people there, and I knew them to be people who, who cared deeply about Native American ways and who were even active in trying to heal the wounds between cultures. I wondered at the kind of lack of wisdom that would allow this so-called medicine man to denounce so harshly in a general way those who had obviously come to him to learn and share and grow together. My friend, an Episcopal priest at the time, who also happened to be there, merely commented, 
Well, he's clearly not a universal man, however wise he may be. Another Native American man I talked to a few years ago described to me how for him who was trying to bridge the differences between cultures, he described to me how difficult it was as he attempted to help white people to understand the spirituality of the native person. He said he had met with rejection and misunderstanding on both sides, white and red. This this man, as I said, was devoted to healing the scars of the past. Yet, some white people continued to consider him a pagan savage, and many traditional Native Americans considered him a traitor for revealing ancient Native wisdom to unworthy white savages. <laughs> My friend said that he felt as though he had a foot in each canoe, and the Worst thing that could happen was that he would fall in the river and drown. How tragic for us all that the narrow-minded views of some few can prevent the ecumenical healing so sorely needed between these two cultures. Here in East Texas, I have been asked, are you a Christian, <laughs> by some evangelical folks. I trembled to answer one way or the other. I did grow up in the Christian tradition. I read the Christmas gospel of, at a Nazarene tent revival when my uncle, where my uncle was a, a preacher when I was only five years old. I know every gospel song in the hymn book, and I can sing them and do sing them to myself today often. I consider the biblical teachings as storehouses for much profound wisdom. And I've literally been immersed in the river to be baptized by the Baptist, sprinkled by the Roman Catholics when I was married, confirmed by the Episcopalians later, as they say in East Texas. Also, I think I can say, I know Jesus. I walk and talk in my own head, in my own heart with him. But if I tell someone I'm a Christian, will they deny me my right dearly held, to be also other than Christian? Will they expect me not to go to a retreat at the Buddhist Zen Center, to sit in a Native American sweat lodge, to meditate the way I learned to do at Yogananda Self-Realization Fellowship, to smoke my prayers in my Plains Indian pipe that I was given in a sacred way, to dance my prayers in the Sufi manner as I love to do, and to say that, in my own way, I'm a devotee of the sacred Aphrodite, a daughter of the Earth Mother, and so on and on. Does being a Christian mean I can't be universal? There are those who say that we must choose. They say, you can be an onion or a potato or a chunk of beef, but if you try to stir them all together, you only get stew, not onion, potato, or beef. Well, I like stew. I will not choose. Yes, in my own mind, I am Christian, as I believe Jesus would define the word. Yes, I honor the Buddha nature in us all. Yes, I care about the Earth Mother and that we treat her in a sacred way, and so on and on. What am I not? Well, I don't know. 
Jungian psychology, and my own experience has taught me that I have within me every possibility that a human person can be, both good and bad. It's a cliché that we all have a Hitler within us, so what am I not? We have all left undone, as St. Paul says, we have all left undone those things that we ought to have done and done those things which we ought not to have done. What am I not? Like so many of you who might hear this podcast, I love and worship and participate in what I like to call the life of God, the life of the universe, intensely and devotedly as an open system. I have no desire to be narrowed down to an exclusively this or a that. I am spiritual. I lead a spiritual life, I think, and I teach a sort of spiritual path. It combines elements of all religious traditions. Its primary creed, if it could be said to have one, is respect and kindness. It is cross-cultural. It takes in rather than separating out. Oh, sometimes it's lonely because many of those with particular orthodoxies look at me and because I will not take up their way as an exclusive path, they sort of turn away from me. But happily, it's not always so. Roman Catholic nuns invited me to their convent a number of years ago to give a Lenten retreat for a whole weekend on the subject of images of deity as feminine. And they listened as I talked about very ancient ideas of God as a great mothering power. And they accepted me as a sister. The Jewish ladies who invited me to come and lead a workshop with them recognized me as as a sister of their own. The Native American medicine people I've worked with have given me sacred eagle feather as a sign of the hand of spirit in this world, a sign that I follow an ancient path of healing and spiritual devotion of service to what they refer to as all my relatives. It is all my relatives, everything that is all related together, that I seek to serve, not one group or another. Long ago, I chose to be a univer- as universal a, a person as I could be. Oh, I know, I, I can't wear a top hat and be a man and go to synagogue. I can't go fully and deeply into every culture, subculture, into every religious tradition. But just because of the divisive particularism that so many, many groups practice, I came to refuse to be identified with this or that or the other separate orthodoxy, though I may fully agree with many of their tenets. I refuse to be consciously identified as an us against some other them. That makes it difficult to be, believe me. The opportunities to bunch up, whether as environmentalists against the dreadful government, as vegetarians against the meat-eaters, as people who eat sugar against people who don't, as parents against the teenagers, as women against men, as Democrats against Republicans, as people who eat black-eyed peas against people who don't mow their grass till twilight, whatever. 
to avoid bunching up is nearly impossible. The temptation is always there to jump into a cozy us against an alien them. I can understand, at last, why hermits go off to caves or mountaintops to be holy. If they have to interact with at least one other human being, the going gets tough. But for those who identify with this fellowship of comparative religion that I work for, I rejoice that you and I can celebrate a common human religious experience of awe, respect, reverence, participation in the divine one and and in the cantankerous multitude in all its divisive variety. So let us celebrate diversity. You in your way and I in mine. I'll even probably take up your way knowing me. You sing and I'll dance. You chant and I'll recite. You paint and maybe I'll carve. You speak in tongues and I'll say amen. You look at a crystal and I'll wave my feathers. You wear an onk and I'll wear a cross. You weep and I will tear my garments. You shout and I'll laugh. You meditate and I'll pray. Or we'll do it all the other way around. But, oh, love, defend us from those who would go off behind some wall and say that they and their way, they and their God, think that you and I are the lovely little five-year-old boy I saw that day walking on the street beside his Jewish father, or the Amish man in his buggy, or the Lutheran, or the Pope, or the teenager with funny hair and radical ideas, or the Mexicans, or the Democrats, or the Republicans, or the Southerners, or the Northerners, or that any group is a cult or is something that cannot be tolerated on the face of the earth. Love protect us from such divisiveness. At root, we are one. At root, God is one. Let us love one another as we are loved, as we are love. This is the meaning of my ministry. This is the creed of the Fellowship of Comparative Religion. My prayers are with all of us that we may continue to manifest this unifying nature of love. Thank you.